chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, friends, uh, really lovely to see you online this morning. Uh, my name is Huey. Uh, if uh, you are new uh, here to our church uh, this morning, um, and uh, it's great to see uh, all your wonderful faces uh, on on the screen uh, in front of me. It's quite um, funny to see all all our men in particular with uh, uh, long hair. Uh, you all look like the Beatles uh, this morning. Um, my wife is actually going to give me a haircut uh, this week, um, and uh, uh, please pray for me. Uh, I'm, I'm genuinely scared about what, what, what's going to happen this week. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's great to see you. Uh, it'd be great if you can have uh, 1 Corinthians 10 open in front of you, um, and uh, we're, we're going to have a look at this part of God's word. But uh, how about I lead us in prayer that God would uh, speak to us and uh, teach us this morning. Uh, our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that despite lockdown, we can gather like this uh, together as uh, your family. 
thank you, Father, that uh, you continue to speak to us because uh, your word is never locked down, uh, but uh, is able to uh, continue uh, to be at work in this world uh, to build up your people uh, and to bring salvation to the many. And Father, we pray that as we open up the scriptures today, that you would help us, uh, that you would encourage us, uh, that your spirit would be at work in teaching us. And uh, we ask that you would please um, uh, change us uh, and help us to be a people uh, who follow Jesus as our Lord and Saviour um, in, in a wholehearted way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, have you ever been self-deceived? Have you ever been self-deceived? Uh, some time ago, a large sample of university professors were asked some questions about their job performance. Uh, it was revealed that 94% of them thought they were doing a better than average job. Uh, similarly, a survey of 1 million high school students found that 70% of them thought that they were above average in leadership ability, and only 2% thought that they were below average. In terms of getting along with others, 60% thought they were in the top 10%, and 25% thought they were in the top 1%. Uh, you see, self-deception is a real thing, isn't it? It's where you think something about yourself in a way that doesn't really line up with reality. Uh, now, I want to suggest that the passage we're looking at this morning is really all about the danger of spiritual self-deception. Uh, you can see it there in verse 15. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, have, have a look with me at verse 15, uh, where Paul says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, uh, this letter is written to people who, who thought they were standing strong in their Christian faith, but who in reality were not far from falling and uh, losing their salvation altogether. It's a sobering passage where the apostle warns the Corinthians of the great danger of spiritual self-deception. Uh, are you somebody who is spiritually self-deceived? Now, uh, if you have a look at the beginning of our passage, you'll see there that Paul begins by speaking about uh, some people from the past who were spiritually self-deceived. Uh, he's speaking, of course, about the first generation of the people of Israel who were rescued out of slavery from uh, Egypt uh, you, you, you'll, you'll know the story uh, of the Exodus uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, in verse 1, you can see that Paul calls them our fathers. Uh, not in a physical sense, because uh, if you remember, the, the Corinthian church uh, was largely a Gentile church. But they were fathers in a spiritual sense, because the people of Israel were the spiritual forefathers of those who have faith in Jesus who are the true Israel. However, I want you to see that the emphasis here is on just how much these people were a part of the extraordinary things that God did in saving his people from Egypt. Uh, notice in verse 2, he speaks about their salvation as a, as a baptism. 
he says in verse 2, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Uh, the cloud, if you remember, was uh, the symbol of God's presence uh, in the Old Testament uh, as he led his people out of Egypt uh, uh, by, via a cloud that, that led them. Uh, further, you'll remember the extraordinary event where God parts the Red Sea uh, in order for his people to escape their old life of slavery in Egypt uh, to begin a new life under the leadership of Moses. Uh, further, notice how Paul speaks about God nourishing the people of Israel as they journeyed to the promised land. Uh, in verse 3, he says, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Uh, the spiritual food and drink here, uh, friends, doesn't mean that uh, the food was not real. Uh, you know, often when we uh, use the word spiritual, we're thinking about things that we can't touch, aren't we? But that's not how the word is, is being used here. For the food that God provided for the Old Testament Israelites was real bread from heaven in the form of manna that rained down from the sky. And the water that God provided was real water that gushed out of the rock. But what Paul is saying here when he uses the word spiritual is that it was the spirit of God himself who provided uh, these things for his people, as well as uh, Jesus Christ himself, uh, who was present uh, as God provided the water from the rock. Uh, but friends, here's the tragic thing. Even though the people of Israel took part in these extraordinary things, they still faced the terrifying judgment of God so that most of them fell dead in the desert before they reached the promised land. You can see it there in verse 5, can't you, where Paul says, Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown or, or scattered in the wilderness. Now, why is it so important to think about what happened to the people of Israel here? Well, uh, you can see there in ver verse 6 and also later in verse 11 that what happened to the people of Israel is meant to be uh, a strong example for the Corinthians and for us as well. You know, just as Israel uh, was baptised as God's presence led them uh, via a cloud through the Red Sea and into a new life under Moses, we who are Christians have also been baptised as the Spirit of God has, has led us from spiritual death into a new life under the leadership of, of Jesus Christ. And just as the people of Israel were, were nourished in the desert on their way to the promised land, well, we who are Christians are, are, are spiritually nourished by God's word and by participating in the Lord's Supper so that we might make it to the promised land. But here's the point. Uh, if the people of Israel could taste something of the goodness of God's salvation and still fall dead in the desert under God's judgment, then make sure that the same thing doesn't happen to you, says Paul. 
apparently there is a, a dangerous road in England where uh, they put up huge signs with statistics about how many people have died on this road in the past. Uh, you know, the sign might read, uh, last month, 12 people have died on this road uh, in, in, the last, in the past month. Uh, last year, uh, 81 people have died on this road. In the last 10 years, over 1,000 people have died on this road. Uh, the message is clear, isn't it? Look at the past. Uh, look at what happened. And make sure you don't become another statistic. Friends, what God is saying in this passage is, is very similar, isn't it? He's saying, look at the past. Even that generation who were rescued out of Egypt by God fell because they were spiritually self-deceived. You know, it's easy to think that just because I've tasted something of the goodness of God and taken part in Christian things, then I will be spiritually safe, isn't it? What is it that you take spiritual safety in? Is it the fact that you have been baptised? Is it the fact that you uh, take part in the Lord's... Uh, please make sure you're... Uh, is it the fact that you go to church and, and sing songs? If these are the things that you take safety in, then beware, says Paul. Even the people of Israel experienced and took part in these extraordinary things, and yet they fell. And so uh, why did Israel fall under God's judgment? Why did they miss out uh, on, the, on the wonderful promise of the promised land? Well, Paul goes on to show that it was because of their arrogant sin and rebellion against God. Now, it's important to see that Paul in verse 6 speaks about sin in terms of desire. Uh, did you notice that? In other words, sin in the Bible is not just about wrong external behaviour, but it's actually something much deeper. It's a problem in the human heart that desires evil above desiring God and his glory. Uh, now, you'll notice there that Paul speaks about uh, four deadly sins that brought judgment upon Israel, causing them to fall in the desert uh, before reaching the promised land. Uh, the first sin that you see there is the sin of idolatry. Uh, of course, the ultimate uh, act of idolatry in Israel's history, uh, you might remember, was the worship of the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32. Uh, that's what Paul alludes to in verse 7, doesn't he? However, notice that this great act of idolatry and betrayal against God is seen as a bit of a package with feasting and sexual immorality. Uh, that's why in verse 7, Paul quotes from Exodus 32, where he says, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You see, they were the ones who not only worshipped uh, the golden calf, but they feasted before their new God and, and then rose up to engage in sexual orgies with one another on that awful day. I don't know about you, but I find it fascinating in the scriptures that idolatry is often linked with sexual immorality. 
Uh, you see it in the golden calf incident. Uh, you see it in the sin of the Corinthian church. Uh, you see it in our day as the Western world largely turns away from the worship of God. Uh, what do we see? Well, we see uh, a proliferation of sexual sin, don't we? Such as homosexuality and gender issues. Well, you see, sex is not just nothing, but it is a way of deeply expressing your personhood with your body. And a person who has turned away from God will find that one of the primary ways of expressing rebellion against God is through one's sexual behavior, uh, how one uses uh, their body. And so uh, it makes sense that Paul goes on to describe the sexual immorality of Israel in the Old Testament, doesn't it? Uh, in verse 8, he speaks about uh, the terrible incident in Numbers chapter 25, which you can look up later, where the people of Israel worshipped foreign gods, uh, but also engaged in sex with foreign women. And in the end, faced God's judgment as he wiped away uh, 23,000 of them literally overnight with a plague. Further, uh, I want you to see that the sin of Israel involved testing the patience of God. Now you can see it there in verse 9, where Paul alludes to that terrible event in Numbers chapter 21, where the people of Israel tested the patience of God by saying, uh, you know, we had life, uh, life was better back in, back in Egypt. I'm not satisfied with the life that you have given us, God. It was a terrible way to treat the God who had rescued them in such extraordinary circumstances and had promised the best life ever in the promised land to rub it in his face like this. And so what did God do? Well, uh, you might recall the, the story where uh, he sends serpents to destroy many of the serpents, uh, the, 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 the people of Israel. But finally, friends, uh, I want you to see that the people of Israel were judged by God in the wilderness because of their grumbling. You know, uh, if you read through the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers, you will see the, the tiresome grumbling of the people of Israel again and again and again. Uh, God, we had meat back in Egypt. God, we had cucumbers back in Egypt. God, we had such a great life as slaves in Egypt when we, uh, when we were back there. Why have you brought us into the desert to die in, in, in misery, they say? The tragedy, of course, is that in Numbers chapter 14, the grumbling of the people of Israel is the final straw that breaks God's patience such that he scatters their dead bodies over the wilderness before they reach the promised land. Look at what happened to them, says Paul. If you dig in the right place, you will see their mass graves, their corpses scattered all over the desert. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but uh, the sin of grumbling uh, sounds a little bit out of place to me here. Don't you think? I mean, what Paul is doing here is listing the top four deadly sins of Israel. But if you and I were compiling a, a top four list of deadly sins that God hates, 
Uh, would you include grumbling in that list? You know, idolatry seems like such a serious sin. Um, sexual immorality seems like such a serious sin. Testing God's patience seems like such a serious sin, but, but grumbling? Friends, I hope you can see here just how much God hates grumbling. Now, that, does, now that doesn't mean, of course, that uh, we can't openly share you know, the difficulties of our lives and support each other in those things. But grumbling is a little bit more than that, isn't it? For in the end, grumbling is about having a complaining spirit that denies God's goodness towards us, and especially his goodness in saving us through the death and resurrection of Jesus himself. And that's why, friends, in the scriptures, the mark of a Christian person is not grumbling, but it is thanksgiving. Are you and I grumblers? Now, when we speak to others, what do we find are the first words that come out of our mouths? Do we grumble because we think we are entitled to so much more than what God has given us? even though God has given us everything in Christ and promised everything in Christ. Now, friends, if we are grumblers, then can I urge us to repent and to replace our grumbling with thanksgiving? Now, perhaps you and I can get into the habit of saying, I give thanks to God for, and we continually think about what are those things that we can give thanks to God for? Uh, as one uh, wise Christian leader once said to me, uh, it doesn't take much brains to grumble, but it does take a transformed heart to give thanksgiving. But here's the big point, friends. The reason why Paul speaks about what happened to the people of Israel is because he wants us to see that it will be an even greater tragedy for you and I to miss out on salvation just as they did. Why is that the case? Well, it's because Paul understands that we live at the end of God's timeline for this world. Now you can see it there in verse 11 uh, where he says, now these things happen to, to the Israelites as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. You see, friends, you and I are, are people who live at the end of God's timeline for this world. You and I live in a time where God's kingdom has already broken into this world with the Lord Jesus Christ. Soon, if you and I belong to Jesus, this age will pass away and we will find ourselves in the glories of the age to come, in all its spectacular and dazzling goodness. And so if you are a Christian person, then it would be an unspeakable tragedy, don't you think, to miss out on salvation at precisely this point in history, you see. Uh, you know, in the Tokyo Olympics, um, one of the most heartbreaking things for me to watch uh, were the 100-metre sprinters who were disqualified because 
they jumped the gun. Uh, did anyone uh, see those those people? You know, this is the event that they trained so hard for. This is the goal that they had worked towards uh, their whole life. They could literally taste the end. A hundred meters in front of them, and they would have experienced glory. And just like that, they jump the gun and end up being disqualified. That's tragic, isn't it? But that's kind of what Paul is saying here. It will be tragic to be so close to the end and still be disqualified. Are you living in idolatry and worshipping things other than God in your life in a way that is personally offensive to God because it robs him of glory? Are you living with your boyfriend or girlfriend and sleeping with them even though you are not yet married? Are you constantly grumbling and testing God's patience? If you are, then please hear the great warning of God this morning and repent. Do not be like the previous generation of Israel who were self-deceived into thinking that they could enter the promised land even if they continue to rebel against God in their sinfulness. Do not presume upon the goodness of God. Friends, did you also notice the wonderful assurance of God in this passage? You can see it there in verse 13 where Paul says those wonderful words, God is faithful. God is faithful to you, even when you are tempted to sin. How will he be faithful? Well, when you and I are tempted to sin, it says there very clearly, doesn't it, that God will be faithful in not allowing us to be tempted beyond what we can bear, beyond our ability, but he will always provide a way out for us. Now, when we are tempted to sin, uh, we can often feel very trapped, can't we? Uh, perhaps we might think that uh, this sin is unique to me, and so I have no other option but to sin, and perhaps God will understand because this temptation is too great. But verse 13 says that your temptation and my temptation is not unique to you. Do you think you're the first person to ever experience temptation to idolatry? Do you think you're the first person to ever experience temptation to sexual immorality or greed or grumbling? No, this is something that is common to man. And God has been in the business of providing ways out of temptation. And so trust him who is faithful. Uh, how will God provide ways out? Well, perhaps it might be through God mercifully removing the source of temptation from our lives. Uh, perhaps it might be through God providing opportunities for us to uh, actively flee from the temptation. Perhaps it might be God providing a Christian friend uh, to pray for us and to keep us accountable. It might come in any number of ways. But the point is that God will not leave you in a house without doors when it comes to temptation to sin. But what a wonderful promise from God that really is. 
but if God does provide a way out, then you and I also need to act now and run away from the temptation, don't we? And so, friends, uh, it makes sense that Paul uh, would tell the Corinthians to flee idolatry in verse 14. Uh, you know, uh, as we uh, saw in the kid's spot with uh, Petros and um, his family, uh, that Paul has been addressing people who arrogantly thought that they had every right and freedom to visit pagan temples and to eat and drink at the pagan temples with other idol worshippers. But in the final part of our passage, Paul shows why you and I cannot be Christian people and still take part in similar activities. Now, uh, he begins there by talking about the Lord's Supper. Uh, you can see it there in verses 16 to 17, where he says that uh, eating the bread and drinking the wine in the Lord's Supper is actually a participation in the body and blood of Jesus himself. That is, uh, when you and I uh, take part in the Lord's Supper, uh, while we physically pa uh, participate in the eating uh, and, and the drinking uh, uh, that, that is involved, we also spiritually participate with Jesus himself, who is spiritually present with us in the Lord's Supper. Uh, the word for participate there is literally the, the word fellowship, because when we share in the Lord's Supper, we not only share in fellowship and friendship with one another as God's family, but ultimately we share fellowship and friendship with Jesus himself. It was a similar thing in the Old Testament, as Paul says in verse 18. Uh, when the people of Israel feasted at the Jew Jewish temple, uh, they were participating in a relationship with God himself, as represented by the altar. Now, uh, you can see where all this is heading, can't you? For Paul goes on to say that if you go into a pagan temple and uh, you eat and drink there, it's not nothing because you also participate in the idolatry that is going on in that place. It's not that Paul thinks that idols are real. But, you know, we've seen that, that Paul knows that you know, the God of Jupiter or whatever it was at the time is just a lump of wood that, that has no real substance. But he says these things because he knows that idolatry is never neutral and behind the idol uh, lies demons and the demonic. And so Paul's point is that if you go to the pagan temple and you eat and drink there, uh, you are actually participating in something that is demonic. His argument is, well, how can you eat and drink at the Lord's table and enjoy fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ himself and then go down the road to eat and drink at the pagan temple and enjoy fellowship with demons? It'll be a little bit like me sitting down for dinner with my wife and my children and enjoying a relationship with them and then immediately after finishing, uh, walking down the street and sharing a meal with a girlfriend that I have on the side. Now listen to what Paul says in verse 21. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord 
and still eat at the table of demons, you see. Now, listen to this. Uh, I reckon in our day, uh, if you read Christian books, uh, what we've done is we've collapsed every sin into the sin of idolatry. Uh, do you think that's true? And so we are taught that, uh, you know, uh, it's we are in danger of idolizing our jobs or uh, our money or our car or our families or our dog or our cupcakes or sex or, or pleasure or whatever it is. And so we turn everything into idolatry. Now, uh, there may be a grain of truth in this, and I've probably taught this uh, from the pulpit as well. But if that's the case, uh, how do we flee from idolatry, <laughs> as Paul says here? If everything in the world is, is idolatrous and uh, potentially idolatrous and demonic, then how can we flee from that? Now, idolatry in the Bible uh, is, is not everything, but it is first and foremost about worshipping images rather than God himself. Uh, is this kind of idolatry a problem for us? Well, I think there will be times when it can become a problem for many of us. For example, what if you are invited to a Hindu wedding by a friend which involves taking part in certain Hindu ceremonies? Or what if you are invited to a wedding at a Roman Catholic church and you are asked to take part in the idolatry of the mass? Or what if you are from an Asian background and you are invited to, to come to the graveside of your grandparents to take part in ancestor worship? It may not necessarily be wrong to go to these things, but I want to suggest that you and I cannot participate in everything that is on offer there if we are friends with Jesus as our Lord. But there are also many other events in life where we need real wisdom from God to know whether we should participate or not. I mean, uh, take things like yoga or um, sending your, your children to Halloween parties or mindfulness classes. But many of these things have, have had roots in pagan idol worship. And so is it wise not to participate in these things? Or have these things lost their pagan idol worship roots and have taken on a different meaning and character um, in, in our world so that what is really going on is not, not exactly idolatry? I wonder whether at the very least our participation in these sort of things needs to look different from the world because pagan idolatry is never neutral and behind it lies the work of demons. Well, friends, are you and I in danger of spiritual self-deception? Are we in danger of thinking that we are safe with God, even though we are living in sin and in danger of falling? Now, today's passage is a great warning from God, isn't it? It's a bit like those shocking images that they put on cigarette packets. You know, you have pictures of people with gangrene or cancer or lying in a morgue. They are meant to be shocking. 
in order to wake us up from complacency and, uh, con and, and thinking that we'll be okay even if we continue to smoke. In a similar way, in today's passage, God holds up a picture of what happened to the people of Israel to shake us out of our complacency so that we do not presume upon God's goodness. You know, friends, that warnings like this in the Bible are not there uh, for us to intellectually debate whether Christians can lose our salvation. But they are there because God knows that his people will be the ones who listen to him, to heed the warnings that he gives and repent so that they will not miss out on salvation. Uh, if you are living in sin at the moment, do not be self-deceived. Do not provoke Jesus to jealousy, for he will not share your allegiance with other things you worship. Do not think that you are stronger than Jesus and you will come out okay in this battle if you continue to displease him. Do not think that sin does not matter. For you cannot see the nail marks in Jesus' hands and feet and say to him that sin does not matter. No, flee from your sin, whether it's idolatry or sexual immorality or grumbling or any other way in which you and I might be testing God. For we are the people on whom the end of the ages has come, says God. And so repent and don't miss out on that glorious day. Let me lead us in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your love you have caused the events of the past to be recorded in the scriptures as examples for us and for our instruction. And we thank you that your word to us is not a dead word, but a living and active word that searches us and helps us to repent of our sin. Father, if there are any of us this morning who are in spiritual danger of falling, like the people of Israel of old, uh, we ask that you would pour out your mercy on them. We thank you um, for your faithfulness and your promise to always give us a way out of temptation and sin. And so we pray that you would help these brothers and sisters and all of us to be those who flee idolatry and uh, sexual sins and other expressions of rebellion against you. Now, Father, what a great privilege to be those on whom the end of the ages has come. And so please help us to be people who live in the light of the, the coming age uh, so that we might joyfully enjoy fellowship with your son in ways that please him as our Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.